0: What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Sean Humes for episode 144 of the MMA Rings Podcast. How are you doing there, Sean? How was your Thanksgiving?
1: Uh, not too bad. A lot of driving. But other than that, can't complain at all. Where did you drive from? uh, I went to Corsicana, which is close to East Texas. And then I went to San Antonio. My uh, aunt and my uncle came to visit my parents. And I hadn't seen them in like, almost 10 years.
0: You haven't seen you have seen your parents in almost ten years.
1: No, my aunt and my uncle they live, all oh. my my parents mostly live in South Carolina, so I don't I rarely I don't have any time where I can just put a week or two weeks or whatever to go up there and see people. So this the first time I've seen them in like since probably like two thousand and no not ten years probably about six or seven years about two thousand and three maybe no not 2013, oh, 2012.
0: Okay. okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um. But yeah, man, I'm glad you had an enjoyable time. I hung out with the family. You know, we did that did that thing. I haven't seen them in quite a while. But yeah, we're back to talking about mixed martial arts. I mean, got quite a bit to talk about. These last couple of days have been pretty busy with some news developing, especially today and yesterday. So we have a quite a lot to talk about from some new fights being announced. Um, we're going to. Loop back to that Gina Carano interview from a few uh, weeks ago, I think the week before last, and also preview UFC DC, which is this weekend. And also, I want to talk briefly about the um, Combate Americas card as well. So, are you ready to jump on in? Yes, sir. So, let's start. Um, let's start about a couple of these fight announcements. That went off and I want to start we're going to get to Donna Cerrone versus Conor McGregor in a moment Let's talk with some of the bigger news that came out today with Frankie Edgar who's stepping in To face Chan Sung Jung at UFC South Korea on December 21st now What's interesting about this is that Edgar stepping in to face the Koreans on but he was actually they were supposed to fight each other I think maybe last year, but that fight fell out as well And what's interesting about this is that Edgar's stepping in to fight him at 45, but he's also still booked to fight Corey Sanhagen, which is about a month later, at 135 in Raleigh. So there's a couple of different things, a couple of different thoughts I have about this, um, about the situation here. I'm going to let you start first. What is your initial reaction to Edgar stepping in on late notice to fight the Korean zombie in probably less than 14 days? Yeah, that's the fourteen
1: days. Uh, he just obviously he's he's trying to stay in the uh, mix for a title shot or or, or to stay I mean, relevant. I mean, Frankie is really. I mean, it essentially seems like he's just trying to stay close to the title shot. He's thinking that maybe if he beats this guy, and then something happens in the Holloway fight, he might have another opportunity to be in play for a title metal shot at featherweight. I mean, he's still a big name. He still has some cachet. And if he he beats the Korean zombie, that's that's a win that means something that that's still an impressive win. And the other guys who would be ahead of him right now, he's beaten quite a few of them. He's already beaten Jerry Jeremy Stevens. He's beaten. Uh, I forgot the guy who just beat Jeremy Stevens, the uh, Yari Rodriguez. Um, so beating Chan Sung Young would just be one more step, keeping him in the top five, keeping him in title contention, or even if he dropped down to bantamweight, it kind of gives him a little bit more cachet coming down there coming off of a win and still being a top five top top four ranked fighter in the division outside of that i I don't i don't see why he's he would have any reason to do this he's at a point in his career given the specific losses he's had even though they've been competitive that he really can't take too many big losses he's starting to get to the point where he's being considered a stepping stone for up-and-coming fighters so this fight is a is a high risk, high reward fight for, for Frankie. And he's just taking any chance he can to keep himself in title contention and to keep his name out there so that maybe he can be in the running for a title shot or a big, big name fight that may come that may come open in the next, you know, couple months, next year or so.
0: So man, this is for this is I thought of a couple of different things when I first saw this. First, the first thing that jumped out to me was um the pool that Ali Aziz has because there are so many different guys at 145 pounds who I would have liked to see step in to this slot here. I'm going to pop open the UFC rankings first and foremost. And there are a couple of different guys that jump out to my mind who could have stepped into this um, fight first. So let's talk about it. Could you could have found someone like Ryan Hall who's not listed. Um, Shane Burgos, who just fought, but I'm not sure how what his health looks like. Uh Yair Rodriguez, who I believe he just fought against Jeremy Stevens, and they could have booked that fight. That fight would have had much more value to 145 pounds than pulling in Frankie Edgar, who is still planning on dropping down to 135 pounds just a few weeks later. So that's kind of what stood out to me first, and I think that it also speaks a lot to the fact that Edgar has done so many solids for the UFC and they know he, and I'm not going to say they know, but maybe this is a form of acknowledgement of what he's been through um, and what they've put him through as someone who wasn't maybe the biggest draw, but he still stepped up to do what the organization needed him to do every single time.
1: Well, the thing about it is the UFC, once again, they're trying to get the biggest bang for their buck and Frankie Edgar still is a, I mean, he's never been a superstar, and mixed martial arts, but he's a, a firmly established star with a certain amount of fan base, and like I said before, a certain amount of cachet. So when he, when he fights, fans tune in, and then hardcores who, who are big who are big fans of the art and the sport itself come in, and then also there's some legitimacy because he went five rounds with a uh, he went five rounds with Holloway. He's a recent title title um, challenger. He's gone five rounds with jose aldo on two different occasions so it's kind of been a guy who's fought the who's who who's beaten some of the better guys in two to weight divisions and who's considered one, one of the all-time greats so they're trying to get eyes on eyes on the event they're trying to make some add some legitimacy to the event and even though there's younger guys who could have or maybe should have taken this fight the ufc is always going to go with the name guy with some cachet over guys who maybe aren't as established or aren't as popular and as far as those fights on their end, they're thinking, yeah, it's a short-notice fight, but it's not like a short-notice fight with Conor McGregor or a short-notice fight with Max Holloway. It's a short-notice fight against the Korean Zombie. Yeah, he's a name. Yeah, he's popular, but he's not a guy who's going to get you super paid. He's not a guy. Beating him isn't going to spring you into the top two in the division for a title shot, and if you lose, it's going to spiral you all the way down, possibly out of the top ten, depending on how you lose. So these guys' managers and these fighters, once again, understand this is a business and they're playing it safe. They're trying to take steps that are going to move them upward to the way they're going without too much risk. Or if it's going to be a risk, there's a reward that balances out as much. So Frankie Edgar's in a position where this is the best option to him. Who else is going to fight Frankie Edgar? I, mean, Frank I mean, there's not a better situation for Frankie Edgar to get a ranked guy and a guy who's considered a known quantity in the UFC. There's, there's not a better situation. So he's stepping in for the payday. He's stepping in for the opportunity. He's stepping in for what he could do for him to put a win together.
0: But I don't see, see, I don't think I totally agree with you there because you just said who else will fight Frankie Egger? Corey Sanhagen. And Corey, Corey Sanhagen is ranked number three in the Benson division. If he wins that fight, um, I think he's next in line for a title shot at 135. He will, I, I think if, if Egger was to win that fight, focus on 135, go out there, look great against Corey. I think he defaults Algermain Sterling, who's injured right now, and Marlon Morales just lost to yeah. him in So there's no one else for um, that 135 pound title. Well,
1: but he's putting I mean, that
0: he's putting that opportunity at risk by taking this fight.
1: Yeah. Well, obvi- obvi- I'm thinking I'm thinking A, it's a payday thing, and B, I still think he's trying to trying to prove some some validity in that in that division. Uh, I don't know that the bantamweight division is something. To- that he wanted to do i think it's kind of something that he's hit a brick wall at featherweight and he realizes he hasn't moved down to, to be a viable challenger he's already talented for the title three times at featherweight i mean how many more shots is he going to get he's already beaten everybody else he can beat if he beats anybody else it just rematches they're not going to help him even if he wins again if he loses it's terrible if he wins it's not that good for him Bantamweight weight would be a division where he'd be new and he has some more opportunities open he has some more opportunities coming in as a guy who's fought a higher weight division, was ranked in the top five, top three in those divisions, and that would help him. But I think the Bantamweight decision is being made because he didn't win a title shot against Max Holloway. If he won it, I don't think he would drop, and I think he still would like to be able to compete in the featherweight division. I, that's just my belief. I don't ha- Nobody's told me anything. I don't have any reason to believe that. As far as facts, it's just what I believe. I believe he's being forced to move down 35 because he's hit a brick wall at, at 45. But if he wins this fight, he very well could be in position to possibly um, challenge for a title shot. You know, let's say he wins this fight and, then he, and he comes out fairly unscathed and then he beats Sam Hagen. He could technically be speaking, be a title challenge, be open in title contention in two divisions.
0: See, I just retweeted something from Luke Thomas. It's actually pretty interesting, that um, Kind of harks on to this. He's looking at the last three guys that Korean Zombie has fought since returning to the UFC. Renato Moicano, he KO'd him. Yair Rodriguez had to go to the hospital after barely winning that fight that he was losing in the waning minutes of that fifth round. Then Dennis Bermudez he knocked him out too. So how are we going to think that Edgar, who is a fighter who historically takes a lot of damage, how do we expect him to come out of this fight unscathed? To fight a month later,
1: I personally don't think he will. I I personally don't. I personally don't think he is. I. If he fights, this should be a back-and-forth fight. Then again, when you are taking as much damage as the Korean zombie has, you never know when your chin is going to go, Allah, when Frankie fought Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez had been on a run, and he'd gone toe-to-toe with Aldo. I expected Chad Mendes to steamroll Frank Egger, and the first time Frank Yeager Frank touched him, he knocked him out. So when you take as much punishment as Chan Sung Jung is, you never know when your chin is going to completely go out. So there's always that shot. But that's what I'm saying. I really think they're A, paying him a little bit more money than normal, and B, I think he really wants to stay in the mix at 45. I really think the weight thing was only because he hit a wall at 45. If he won the title, it wasn't like he was going to win the title and then drop down like like um, TJ Dillashaw wanted to do, win the two weight classes. He he would have stayed at featherweight. The only reason he's doing this now is because, like I said before, he doesn't really have any avenue to the title unless Max Holloway loses to well, Volkanovski. Then everything kind of turns on its head and he has some more opportunities. But – um. Otherwise, he, he has no way, so he'd have to move down the band away. And In moving down the Bantaway, he's trying to take the quickest path to a title because he knows his time in the sport is short. So in my, my mind, he's taking this fight because he wants to stay in contention at Featherweight. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I, I don't know. But that's, that's how I feel about it.
0: So let me ask you this, then. Last question, and we're going to move on to the next topic here. How much, of a, of how much value does this win have if the Korean Zombie wins – where does this put him in those rankings? Because right now, you have uh, Volkanowski who's sitting at one. He's fighting for the title. Ortega, who was originally supposed to be in this fight, pulled out. You have Aldo who's moving out to 35. You have Zabit who is who just coming who's coming off of a win, but a win that people are still kind of skeptical about. Edgar's at five, and now at six, who just beat Jung and is coming off of a win over Jeremy Stevens as, as well.
1: Um, I mean, anytime you beat a legend, and the UFC really likes when you beat name guys. I mean, let's face it, they've had guys who aren't even really in contention who have a name, and some guy beats them, and all of a sudden they're in title talks. So, this this fight, a win over Frank Yeager, still means something because, especially if it's a finish, because Max Holloway didn't finish him. Most people at Featherweight haven't. Only person who did was Brian Ortega. So, a win over Frank Yeager, while not, while not quite as impressive to me as it would be over ortega it does come like i said it's going to have more eyes on it it's going to have more more cachet because of frankie edgar's name value and it's a and it's a good chance of um him having an opportunity to further move up and be in title condition. he beats frankie edgar I, I figure he's going to be in that top three top four i mean he'll be clearly ahead of yair even though yair has already beat him he's that fight could have went either way and a win over frankie edgar is, who's already beaten yair and beaten the majority of the featherweight division does something to recharge his career i don't necessarily know he gets a t- title fight right after it i doubt it but if if holloway loses you know everything's turned upside down he has his opportunity and even if holiday holloway wins holloway versus the korean zombies is the fight that people could get excited for you know two guys who are high volume high impact known for their conditioning known for their ability to take punishment that's a fight you can sell so I, I think it. i think it really Establish them. I don't know if makes him a legitimate title contender, but I know it reestablishes them. But when you have his kind of fight style and his kind of cult fan following, you never know what doors it could open.
0: True. Very true. So let's keep moving it from there. Let's talk about the next fight that was announced today. Like I said, we're going to get back to um, Cerrone and uh, McGregor in a moment. Daniel Pereira and Diego Sanchez at UFC Rio Rancho on February 2nd. Now, a lot of people were surprised that Diego got this fight because he never even really had a contract. But what the hell does this say to you? I mean, to me, I think this is the UFC trying to give um, Daniel a win. Uh, but you got to wonder, at some point in time, you got to be having a conversation about why is Diego still signed, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been clear. he's His chin is, is gone. His ability to recover from punishment is gone. And... You know it's hard to explain why they keep trotting him out there, especially in in, in it, whether lightweight or welterweight. There's so many guys who are capable of putting his lights out and doing so quickly. There's so many guys who can punish him and make him pay a, a a hard price in that cage and make him pay a price outside of it from the, from the accumulation of damage. Um, I'm assuming they just don't want him to go to another another organization, maybe a weaker one because Diego is still one of the more popular guys. He's a charismatic, interesting kind of personality. He draws a certain amount of eyes and attention from mainstream media and MMA media, and they, they pretty much don't want to do anybody any favors by by allowing him to walk out the door and and take whatever fan base he has and bring it over to a Bellator or Risen or whatever. He still has cachet. people still care about Diego, whether they want to see him fight or not. People still care about him, and the UFC does not let people go until they're pretty much... Unrehabilable as far as their fight, they've deteriorated so much, or they've lost any sort of buzz or attention they've had. Then the UFC lets them go, but they don't let go of guys who still have pop, who still have some fight in them and still ha- still bringing fans to a certain degree. They they've never been in that business. Look at BJ Penn. Look at Chuck Liddell.
0: So, is this a fight that we should expect Daniel to win handedly?
1: Uh, I would say if Diego can get into fights where they're exclusively heavy grappling. He's always got a fifty-fifty shot. It was, um, it was tough against um so because Chiesa is so big and so long, and a lot of Diego. Diego's not the greatest wrestler technically. He gets by on that conditioning and volume of takedown attempts, and he, he doesn't really land a lot of takedown attempts to be quite honest. Um, he's not very super explosive. What he is is a gritty, tough guy who can maintain a pace until the other guy starts slowing. He takes over, Michael. He, kiesa is a big strong long guy who maintains the pace and can fight at a high level and grapple very well too so he was able to kind of dominate diego so the size issue always comes come comes an issue at the, at the bigger weight class but if he's going to be in a mostly a grappling match or he can force mostly a grappling match he might get schooled but he won't get he won't get in there so really punish or damage because diego's still a dangerous and skilled enough grappler where he can hold his own with The Better Grapplers in Mixed Martial Arts. He saw how he held his own with Joe Joe Lazon, uh, Dan Miller. He did okay with it, if I recall correctly. And he held his own with Marcine Held. And Marcine Held is considered quite, quite the submission artist in and out of the UFC. So um, as long as it's – and then Mickey Gall. So if, you, if he can engage in a purely wrestling-slash-grappling match, he has a chance. He always does. He's that good, and he, he's that savvy. If it gets into any sort of exchanges where he can't get takedowns or the guy's – going to start punishing him on the ground, then it's all bets are off.
0: Okay, all right, good thoughts there, sir. I want to talk about another fight that was announced. I'm not sure how much you know about this one, though, but Benson Henderson was pulled out of his fight in Japan against Michael Chan. It was a rematch with their Bellator lightweight fight from a couple years back. And, and Benson's being replaced by Sydney Outlaw. Now Sidney Outlaw, he's just recently fought Roger Huerta and defeated him, and he's appeared on Dana White's uh, Contender Series where he won a decision victory. What are your thoughts about this fight here? Is this a, is this a fight that Sidney could win? And he's, is he catching Chandler? Is is this an opportunity for him to expose Chandler, kind of the same way Will Brooks did a couple years back, or is this a fight that Chandler should win, even though uh, Outlaw has about 23 days to get ready for?
1: The thing with Chandler is Chandler. Chandler has had, in my opinion, he's had a lot of the world-class athleticism and durability beaten out of him. Between the two Alvarez fights, the two fights with, um, you just said his name, uh, I can't remember, he fights for ATT, but he was a champion of Bellator, Uh, went to UFC. Um, he had the two fights with Alvarez, he had two other title fights in Bellator, and after that, you started seeing him being not quite as dynamic. You saw him start getting rocked in, backed up by guys who normally wouldn't rock him back up, I saw David Rickles hurt him. I saw Primus get his respect with, with strikes, punches to the face. I saw Primus shake him up with kicks to the body and kicks to the legs. And then, you know, you saw what, what Pitbull did to him. Um, he's not he's not the same fighter. He's not as durable as he used to be. I'm not saying his chin is gone, but he's not as durable as he used to be. He doesn't recover from punishment as quickly as he used to be, and he's not nearly as dynamic and explosive as he used to be. That's a combination of extended fight career and being very active and taking huge amounts of punishment and basically four fights in a row. Um, this is the most vulnerable you're going to get Chandler at. I, I thought if Benson Henderson fought him, Benson would beat him. I was pretty secure Benson would beat him. I'm not saying this guy will, but this is going to be his best shot because you can you can catch... Chandler's not is willing to get into striking exchanges anymore because he knows he can't take it anymore. He's got a lot more methodical, a lot more careful. Some people say that's a growth in his technique. It's not really growth in his technique. He just understands he can't fight at the pace and with the intensity and the offensive aggression that he used to because he can't handle the price the cover charge for fighting that fight so does outlaw have a chance yeah chandler's not who he used to be his chin's not what he used to be his athleticism is not what he used to be and his aggression and his ability to completely dominate isn't what he used to be because now he's a, he's concerned with what's coming back at him and um so that gives this guy a chance but as far as well with- they've accomplished they're two different calibers of fighter so if you go on paper based on accomplishment and skill set Chandler should win this going away but as i said before chandler's not who he used to be and i i personally think he's vulnerable i mean he he's been hurt injured repeatedly he's just not the same guy so if you're an up-and-comer trying to make a name for yourself this is probably the best case scenario you could expect for it's a last late replacement so chandler's not gonna have a ton of time to do research and make adjustments and that matters in fight game and Chandler's vulnerable. He's been exposed. He's not. He's been exposed for the limited technician he is. He's been exposed for not being as durable as he used to be. And those two. And durability was a long way in martial arts. And if he don't have it, any fights up for up for grabs. And I don't think he has it anymore. True. True. I always
0: Michael Chandler's an interesting character to me because I love watching his social media posts. A dude is always in the gym putting in work. And if you just watched that and you weren't too familiar with his history, his track record for taking a lot of damage, you would think this guy is like an un- unstoppable machine, but it just doesn't always play out that way in the cage. He's on a good little run right now, but I wonder how long uh, will that sustain and, and I will give him credit. He, has, you know, he
1: hasn't looked great in this run, though. And one of the runs he was on, he hasn't looked nearly as dominant. I mean, against Primus, first fight had to get stopped because he couldn't continue. In the second fight... He got rocked in that fight. He didn't dominate it. I mean, the Michael Chandler for two or three years ago run through Primus. The new Michael mm-hmm. Chandler, mm, mm-mm, that wasn't a very impressive win at all. When I saw him fight Primus the second time, I'm like, I told Pitbull's manager because I know him. I was like, Pip, I was like he's going to knock him out. He might get him in the first round. Lo and behold.
0: That's exactly what happened. So let's talk about the big fight that's been announced this week. Um, we have Donald Cerrone and Conor McGregor fighting on January 18th. And this is a pay-per-view event, main event. Knows how to want to line, and more details are coming out about this. Uh, this fight is going to fight. This fight is going to occur at 170 pounds. And Dana White went on. I can't remember whose radio show today, saying that uh, Connor has told him he wants to fight both Jorge Masvidal and he wants to fight Khabib um, Nurmagomedov as quickly as possible too. Um, there's a lot to really unpack from here. First and foremost, I there's a lot of conversation going around about whether or not we should be talking about the two sexual assault allegations, um, investigations that are hanging over McGregor's head. And I think that that is a worthwhile conversation to be had because uh, it's two separate instances where this man is being accused of sexually assaulting someone in Ireland. And those, um, those ramifications there are different than other countries definitely within the united states those cases there are harder to bring um to to bring about and to to get a conviction on but i still think it's worth in today's day and age this society that we live in today it is worth conversing about because we have to have a conversation about what type of people the ufc continues to elevate i mean we have seen you know them um feature multiple athletes that have had questionable backgrounds we've seen that you know the questionable words that leadership of the organization has shown the first question i want to ask you before we dive into this fight is is booking connor this way in such a big moment uh, uh, in such a big fight pay-per-view main event does that send negative um negative messaging out to the mma community or is the mma community such one that really would not care
1: Uh, I just don't think that the large part, I don't think they care. I mean, people get so enamored with these fighters that they defend bad behavior. They defend bad performances. They defend anything too unrealistic. I mean, it's almost it's like NBA players, NFL players to a degree. People just are so it's like fan is short for fanatic these people who like Conor McGregor are basically fanatics. These people who like Floyd Mayweather are basically fanatics. There's nothing you can say unless you show them actual legitimate proof of something happening that, um, it's going to make them turn on the fighter. And even if you show them irrefutable proof, they'll still find some way to put that fighter as a victim because they're not just a fan of them. They're living vicariously through. them. there's a lot of people who are living vicariously through Conor McGregor, just like they live vicariously through, um, Floyd Mayweather. It's like, that's, that's who they want to be that's how they want to be that's the life they want to live and they they're not going to let that person be torn down because tearing that fighter down is like tearing themselves down and they're not going to hold that fighter accountable because holding that fighter accountable is like holding themselves accountable and they don't want to so most MMA fans in general aren't going to care the Conor McGregor fans definitely are there's going to be a segment of fans who don't care but it's not going to be enough that it's not going to get that it's going to impact the bottom line. And I hate to say this, even with those sexual assault and things of that nature, the fact of the matter is that just makes it a bigger story. He's a big star in the middle of this, all this drama and nonsense and this unnecessary drama, these horrible acts he's been accused of. It's just going to bring more attention, more attention to the UFC, more attention to Conor McGregor for a bigger paycheck for the UFC and a bigger paycheck for Conor McGregor. Think about how much, how many pay-per-view fights Floyd Mayweather fought So when he fought Mikhail Koto, who everybody thought he was going to wipe out but people knew floyd was going to jail after that so a lot of people paid in to see that fight even though it wasn't supposed to be competitive at all part of it was for floyd part of it was because you don't know what's going to happen to floyd after he goes to prison And after he got out of jail he had a really high selling fight once again because the people wanted to see what he was like after he got out of jail so these sort of things uh they discussed a lot of people but they also emboldened a lot of the fanatics of, and the supporters of that fighter and until something gets proven where he's actually guilty uh, a lot of guys are just going to stand and stand and deliver on for Conor McGregor. He doesn't have to say a word. He, his fans will do the talking for him.
0: So there's a lot to really break down there, um, and I think uh, this show alone isn't long enough to really kind of cover that. And I agree that we are a part of an industry where people don't care. That doesn't make it right. Uh, there are a lot of voices saying that we need to be having more conversations about this. I mean, it's even getting to the point now where. Media individuals, when they have these athletes in front of them, they don't even ask questions. That's what I really have a problem about. There isn't an effort to put these individuals on the spot and say, Hey, what are your thoughts about this? What do you have to say about this? What do you have to like? It's it's almost as if they don't ask those questions. Can can I ask you a question? The ramifications. Yeah, go ahead.
1: And and this this happens in the NFL too, to a certain degree, but it's a little bit different because of how they, you know, they keep security and they kind of, those guys. Those guys have a lot of money to lose. So they're a little bit more careful in how they respond. But do you think part of the reason these guys don't say anything is because you are dealing with a fighter? What if he gets mad at you? What if he confronts you? Now, once again, and I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm a badass. I'm clearly not. But, you know, I've trained before, trained with fighters, sparred with fighters. I don't have this weird sort of inherent fear of fighters like most people do. Because most, most people who are fans of mixed martial arts and boxing don't, they, most combat sports, they don't. They don't do the sport, so there's a there's a certain amount of unknown there, and some of the some of the people who cover the sport don't really they don't have any sort of concept of martial arts or con- or violence or anything like that. So I think some of it is not wanting to lose access. I think some of it is they're actually scared of what might happen, you know, because it it's it's, it's a fighter and they don't want to confront him because you see him in these articles da 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 he's a coward he's this he's that it disgusts me. And then they get an interview, and no question, nothing. Just sit there dead silent. Um, like, where's I that I don't energy think
0: here? that's a part of it, because I think I'm that sure. we live in a world where if someone was, the, let's say, let's say, I'm just going to throw in, let's say Fighter A was uh, approached, B being like, slap the shit out of them. Um, we live in a world today where there's ramifications for those type of, of, of actions. Yeah, you might have a black eye, you might have a busted lip, you may get cut or something like that, but there's legal ramifications that would help deal with that. That's why you don't see it. That's why, it's, I mean, I can't I'm, think I'm of a just, time where it's not. I'm just
1: I'm just saying, like, even if you know someone can't do something to you, there's, you know, the Quinn Rampage Jackson had a lot of money to lose, but when he gets in people's faces, they get real nervous. You know, you still get paid, but what am I going to have to go through to get that money? What am I going to have to go through for him to, you know, maybe not even really deal with any repercussions? He might just get a slap on the wrist and get probation after he beat me half to death. I'm, I'm, it's just something I thought about. Because a lot of people talk really, really hard on these, on these shows, and they talk really, really hard in their articles. And then they're in the same room as this person, and I don't hear none of that. And they're like, well, it's just professionalism. Well, your professionalism on, only carries over in interviews. It don't, cover, it don't carry over in your podcast. It don't carry over in your TV shows. It doesn't carry. It's something like Greg Hardy once said. He told Ariel Hawani this. And he said, you know what? I don't have a problem talking to you because you maintain the same energy on your show and when you're talking to me face to face. These other people I don't want to talk to, because I see their shows, I hear their podcast. They talk one way there. And then when they get in front of me, they ain't got none of that energy. They change it. And I'm like, what changes? Except he's there in front of you. Say what you gotta say. If you if you're gonna say it like that, like Mike, like Mike says, say it with your chest. And they don't say it. They get real, well, I need to ask you this question. That's not what you said in your article. That's not what you said on your podcast. You didn't say that. You said he was a coward. But now you're like, well, did you think you made bad decisions? Eh, either they're really unprofessional or they're scared. I, I don't know which one it is.
0: I think it's a lot to unpack there, man. I, and I, I don't know. Um, I think it will be an interesting conversation to have with some individuals. But, um, yeah, so let's, let's move on from that aspect of the fight. Next aspect of this fight is, what do you think about it from a stylistic standpoint? We have McGregor, who hasn't won since 2016, coming back to face Cerrone, who's lost two in a row by stoppage. Um, How do you think this fight is going to play out?
1: Well, first of all, a lot of people are mad about this fight, and I don't understand why they are. They're like, well, Donald's coming off of two losses. I'm like he was competitive with Tony Ferguson. That was a give and take fight. He didn't get actually finished. His eye blew up. They stopped it. I'm not saying he wouldn't have gotten stopped, but he didn't get finished. It wasn't like he was just getting handled the whole fight. He was very competitive in that fight, and he lost the gate sheet fairly one sided. That was a quick fight. But for the most part, in his last five fights, uh, Donald Cerrone's won three of them, one at welterweight, two at lightweight, and then he lost his last two. But those were against two of the top four fighters in the lightweight division. So it seems like an easy win for Connor, and I, I believe it is a win for Connor, but Donald Cerrone's been more active. He's fought better competition more recently, and he's had more wins than Connor has. Connor's only had, like, has he, he hasn't had a win in, like, years. Two, two years he hasn't had a win. And he's not active. He can't possibly be as, as sharp as he would like to be. So I think from that instinct, from that aspect, Donald Cerrone is a tough fight. He's going to be sharper. He's been facing a wider array of guys. He's been facing the top guys. He's been training pretty much the whole time, and this is a fight he's been begging for for years. So it, it in that in, in that regards, it favors Donald Cerrone. The thing that that concerns me is Donald's never been good with taking punishment to the body. His chin is it was never great, and it's not gotten much better. His ability to recover has has kind of slipped off a little bit, and he's gonna be fighting a guy who he won't have clear advantages on the feet. And when the fight on the feet is somewhat closer, competitive. Donald Cerrone tends to, get, tends to lose those fights because he can pitch, but he can't really catch. His defense has gotten better, but when it comes down to it, when he starts catching punishment, he tends to, I don't want to say fold up, but tends to find ways to get stopped. Um, he does have a balance skill set. He can wrestle. He can grapple. So there is something to that. That he could bring those weapons to bear. He's a far better grappler than Conor McGregor, at least in mixed martial arts fights, from an offensive and defensive aspect. He's shown more skill. Um, I'd say you have to say he's a better wrestler because just because he's done more wrestling in mixed martial arts than Conor McGregor has. The only con- the only retort that I have for that is that even being rusty and not having been in the sport, and Conor was dominated by Khabib. You have to admit, he showed some pretty good takedown defense against Khabib. He showed some pretty good ground defense against ground pound and submissions against Khabib for the most part. So if Khabib is having a hard time getting Conor McGregor down, I can't imagine that Donald Cerrone is going to have an easy time. And if Khabib's having a hard time controlling Conor McGregor, I can't imagine that Donald Cerrone is going to have an easy time controlling Conor McGregor. This fight is basically being made because it's two huge fan bases with... And two fighters with favorable stylistic matchup, guys who have kind of a cachet and kind of charisma and a swag to them. It's going to make them a lot of money. It's going to draw a lot of attention. And it's a legitimate fight between high-level, fairly high-ranking guys, at least at their peaks they were. Um, but when I look at it in paper, when I look at who does what and who's handled what, I have to say that this is a fight that works. seems to be a set-up fight for Conor McGregor. He's had the better chin. He's the, harder, he's the harder striker. He's probably the better striker as far as distance management. He doesn't throw as many techniques. He's not as meat and potatoes as Donald Cerrone, but he's better distance managing. He's better on the counter. And in the back of it, he's got a better chin. He can take more punishment. He doesn't take a lot, but he can take much more than, than uh, Donald Cerrone can. So while I think it should be an entertaining fight while it lasts, um, if Conor loses, I won't be shocked, but it would be, It'd be a bad loss because this is a fight that's set up for Connor to win and win impressively. And if he if he finds a way to lose, then that says more about Connor McGregor than it does Donald Cerrone because we know Donald Cerrone's on his way out. He he's not really an elite guy anymore.
0: So does a win in this fight here, does it do enough to put Connor on the path back into the title picture at 155 and for the BMF title against uh Jorge Masvidal, is it enough to, to justify
1: that? It's really not. But the thing about the BMF title, that wasn't made because those two were the two baddest MFers in the world. That was made because you have Nate Diaz, who's a needle mover, and a long-time needle mover, at least for the last two, three, five years, whatever, and Jorge Masvidal, who suddenly became a needle mover. That's how that fight became came around. And the only reason they put a title on it was to continue their trend of having Main events being uh, run by guys who are fighting for titles, essentially. That that's essentially what justifies that. It gave it, it made it sexier, made it more appealing because it's for this belt. It, the belt didn't really, the belt doesn't really have any merit. and Everybody knows it. It's it, it's a prop, like a TV title for pro wrestling. It's not an Intercontinental. It's not the World Wrestling. It's the TV title. It's nice to have. It kind of brings you some cachet but it doesn't really make you a star and it doesn't mean you're one of the best. It just means you're a guy who's got a little bit of extra attention on him. That's what the BMF title is. So he doesn't need to win this fight to get the, to get a shot at Jorge Masvidal. He's a big enough name. Jorge wants the money. He'll do it. But what I said about Conor McGregor is he was at his best when he was active. I really would like to see him fight cowboy, fight someone else, then fight Jorge Masvidal. I like to see him be active and get as sharp as possible because when you're facing guys who've been facing some of the better athletes and better fighters in the mixed martial arts, it's really hard when you haven't been fighting at all. You've fought like once in two years. You know, it's really hard to keep sharp. It's really hard to get your timing. It's really hard to understand the mindset or maintain the mindset because you've been so far removed from it for a period of time. I don't know that six weeks or two months or whatever is enough to get you back in the mindset you need to compete with guys who are really hungry, who haven't made $100 million dollars who don't have their own liquor, who can't afford to have multiple assaults on their record and just have lawyers take care of it. They're not in that position, man. They're still hungry. And I would like to see Connor fight more often to develop that hunger, get that razor-sharp technique, razor-sharp timing down, because he's a guy who leans heavily on timing and technique, and then you start facing the guys who are tougher matchups for you. That's, that's what I'd like to see. It, it seems otherwise, it seems like it's a money grab. And money grabs don't really go well for guys. Usually if you're doing a money grab, that means they're cashing out on you. And that's, that's not good for the fighter. And I, I, hope, I hope that's not what Connor's doing. But this approach has me a little concerned.
0: Interesting there. Interesting thoughts there, sir. Um, I think I, all the, all the questions I had in reference to that fight there, I want to move on. I want to talk about this Gina Carano interview from a couple weeks back. Where she revealed that there was a time where she and Ronda Rousey were being booked to fight each other. And this was supposed to be a fight where they were both going to get paid within the seven-figure range. And all she asked for was six months to um, prepare and get a camp together. Which I think is, you know, a justifiable time frame. But things fell apart. And according to her in this interview, things fell apart. And I also would like to add, Dana White has not um, actually answered any questions about this interview since, or yet. It fell apart because he sent a text negatively speaking about Gina Carano, accidentally sent it to Gina. And she read it, asked him about it, and he was, gave her a nasty response. I, I would assume he didn't notice it, that it was her responding, but... That led to the fight falling apart. So there's really a lot to talk about here because that's the type of fight that not only sells out arenas, but that's the type of fight that gets everyone on the card paid and they make so much money off of that event. I mean, thinking about back then, this was probably back before Conor McGregor was a thing. This was back when you know, they were still looking for a new star within the organization, and they could have easily built this fight to be something massive. But you see it all fell apart here. So what are your thoughts looking at this interview here, and what does that speak to with how business is being done within the UFC?
1: Well, it's got to make you wonder that he accidentally sent that to her. You makes you wonder because Gina Carano, for the mo- from what I understand, Gina Carano never had any issues with Dana. Um, she's been kind of a, you know, more or less a class act in the mixed martial arts circles and has done nothing to, to disparage the sport or other fighters or other organizations since she's been away from it. She's seemed to be a fan of everybody and stick up for everybody and be respectful of everybody, whether it's Cyborg, Ronda, or anybody else. She never seemed to worry about, they're taking my spot or I'm not the, gr- I'm not the girl anymore. She never seemed to talk about that kind of stuff. She seemed beyond that kind of stuff. So to hear that Dana was making these kind of comments about somebody who he really should have no issue with, I don't, know, that seems a little, I don't know about everybody, but that seems a little concerning to me because if he's saying that about her and that just slipped out, what do you think he's saying about somebody he has real beef with? You know, like a Tito Ortiz or a Cyborg, you know? What is he saying about them? Because he, he really don't have issues with Gina Crono. He hasn't dealt with her enough to have issues with her. So if he's saying that kind of stuff about her to Rhonda, A, what is that? It kind of makes you wonder what kind of conversations or him and Ronda and him and some of his favorite fighters, having about fighters he doesn't like, and B, what is is his opinion of these people, and how does that impact how he lets them prepare or the opportunities he gives them? Because here's somebody who could have made him a ton of freaking money, and if Ronda beat her, which given how she did it against Holly Holm, there's no guarantee she beats her, but who who could have done a lot for Ronda's star power and done a lot for the UFC and other fighters, and he was willing to put that all on the line, you know, risk that by talking in that manner about her, you know, it just makes you wonder, like, how does he do business? What is he? What else are we missing? What else doesn't get out? Because that wasn't supposed to clearly was supposed to get out there. And I don't think she was supposed to discuss that, you know, outside of their conversation.
0: Well, I'm sure she could, she could discuss whatever the hell she wants. She's not a contract to UFC. Um, well, she can,
1: but, you know, pe- people are scared of him. People are scared of Dana. They're, people who can't stand Dana, I know because I talked to their training partners, they can't stand him, but they're never going to say anything because they don't want to risk biting the hand that might feed them because he has some pull. Gina Caron is in a different space. She doesn't need this, just like Conor McGregor doesn't need this. People don't need to act differently.
0: I would. I'm not going to say Connor McGregor doesn't need this. I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to push back on that one a little bit. Gina's in a different space. I mean, hell, she's on The Mandalorian, which is the biggest um, piece of content that's on Disney Plus right now. She may not be the greatest actress, but
1: but she she didn't make a hundred million. She didn't make one hundred million one night.
0: True. Correct. Correct. And but Connor can't make a hundred million right now either. But that that's like that's another conversation like for another day. Um. What do you think this fight would have looked like, though, had it actually went down?
1: Uh, Gina had a good chance of knocking her out, too, because Gina's a big, strong. Would, I mean, if the weight cut didn't affect her, because she would have fought a bantamweight. She's big. She's strong. She's physical. Uh, I don't know that she has a style similar to Holly Holm, but being that she is a striker first, I can't, imma- I mean, I can't imagine she would not at least attempt to strike at range of Ronda, make Ronda tr- chase her, and then have her run into shots. I mean, Betch-Cohea did it, and Betch-Cohea was catching Ronda left and right. Betch-Cohea just didn't have the power athleticism to make her pay for it. Holly Holm did. Gina Carano did. Now, would she have been sharp? I don't know. But given how cocky Ronda had been about her striking, how aggressive she she, she liked to make fights, there's a very very good likelihood that Gina Carano could have done something very similar to Holly Holm. And Gina's, a little, in my opinion, a better, little bit better puncher and hits a little bit harder than Holly Holm, too, at least with the hands. So there's a very good likelihood she could have she could have put Rhonda's lights out too. Once again, Rhonda could have tied her up, thrown her down and finished her too. I mean, we've seen that before. We've seen we've seen Gina be mollywalped by a better, a bigger, stronger athlete before. But given how Rhonda was fighting and her confidence in her striking, it's very possible we could have saw Rhonda get worked over the same way Holly Holm worked her over. Very true.
0: Very true. Um Let me see. What's the next topic we have for tonight? That's really it in reference to news bits. I want to talk... I want to jump into some fight previews. I want to quickly talk about Combate Americas, which is this weekend. I think it's Saturday as well, where we have Tito Ortiz and Alberto Rodriguez, better known as Alberto De Rio, former WWE champion, on the main card uh, as a main event. What are your thoughts about uh, this fight here? Is this more comical than you think it would be? And... Basically, how long should this fight last? Because if you don't know much about Alberto Del Rio or Alberto Rodriguez, he has fought MMA before. The biggest name he fought was was Michael uh, Crocrop, who basically had kicked his head off, clean off, um, while he was To be still fair, he
1: would have un- done that to Tito, too. To be fair, even in Tito's prime, he would have did the same thing to Tito, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah,
0: he clearly. Clearly, he kicked his head clean off. Um, and he hasn't fought since 2016, I believe, maybe a little bit longer than that. Nine and five. I mean, he has a winning record as a So he's been there before, but he's 42 years old to Tito Ortiz is 44. And Tito has been on a you know a two-fight win streak. He's been active. How do you see this fight going, and what's the odds of it lasting longer than one round?
1: Uh, Tito might try to put a show on. On and make it more, make it more, uh, interesting. There's possibilities. It shouldn't go long. I mean, this guy hasn't fought at the level Tito's has. He yet hasn't fought recently. He's he's rusty. He's not sharp. He hasn't he's only fought one world class guy ever, and he got clearly out. He got clearly outclassed by him. And I was still thinking Chael Sonnen and any of the guys that Tito's beat in the past couple of years would decisively beat this guy. Um. Combated, they're just trying. They're trying to draw eyes, and it, it it'll sell. It's interesting. You have two big personalities. You have two guys with fan bases, and that's why they're making the fight. Um, I could see it. I could see it. Go, I could see it going a couple rounds. If I, I don't think Tito is what he used to be, he's not. I saw him even against Chuck Liddell. He only looked fast because Chuck Liddell is so past it athletically and physically. He just doesn't have much to offer anymore. So that made Tito look like he's more technical on the feet and more athletic than he actually is i don't know that at this stage tito's a better athlete than anybody so to, from that degree i can see the fight if his fight stays on the feet for a little bit i could see the fight going a little bit because tito's just not great on the feet uh tito's had a lot of damage in his career tito just i mean i really think he's not too far from just falling apart himself once he gets to the ground and eventually it will tito should have his way but unlike a lot of people, even though I, would, I wouldn't bet against Tito, I just don't think Tito's who he used to be. I think he's had a lot of surgeries. I think he's had a lot of punishment. I think he's clearly on the decline. And while he might feel great right now, I've never known Tito to have a fight in the past five or ten years and not have to have some kind of surgery or some kind of rehab after it, whether he wins or loses. He's always in the hospital. So at this stage, um, the fight should be more competitive than it would have been with the prime Tito. And I guess I'm the smallest of... So strings there's a chance tito could get this could be a competitive fight because tito's just not what he used to be and and tito's always been fairly a one-dimensional fighter if if albert de can get through a couple minutes on the feet and even if he can defend even one takedown uh, tito's in trouble I, i'm just gonna go and record say that i have no reason to think this but if he can last on the feet a little bit stay away from him and land a couple shots uh you're gonna see a whole nother fight you're gonna see a whole nother fight and you're gonna be like oh my god albert DiRio is putting the Putting the wood to Tito Ortiz. I thought I would never see this. But yeah, in all reality, Tito should win. Tito should win. But if this fight is even slightly competitive, and I think it could be, um, just remember, I told you, Tito Tito hasn't been healthy in a long time, and I know he says he feels great, but he says that before every fight, and two months after every fight, he's back in the hospital. And that's got to catch up with you at some point.
0: Very true. Let's, let's turn our attention to UFC DC, which is this weekend. And we have a main event. This is actually a pretty interesting card. I looked, the, looked it up and down again as I was preparing to show notes for today. And this is actually a pretty good card. I'm not I'm not disappointed with what I will be seeing this weekend. At the top, we have Alice Overeem and um, Rosenstruck. I can't remember the guy's first name. But we have – this is the main event here. And Rosenstruck is making a quick turnaround, stepping in for Walt Harris. Uh, as you know, um Unfortunately, Walt Harris's daughter, well, her, his daughter has been found. Uh, they found her body, and more details are coming out about her murder. Uh, even some today it just came out. But uh, Rosenstruck stepped in to fight Overeem in this heavyweight battle here. What are your thoughts about this? I've seen you tweeting about the about the fight. and You think that Overeem's um, experience and his accuracy should come into play here. But what are your thoughts about how this heavyweight fight looks? <laughs>
1: I mean, this guy who's fighting, he's a striker, he's strong, he's athletic, he hits hard, and in the heavyweight division, you know, you can get all the way to the title shot, basically showing no grappling, no real grappling, no real wrestling, and just being sharp, athletic, and uh, technical with how you strike. Francis Ngannou's shown that, and a multitude of other heavyweights have gotten wins at that division, That, and if they were any other weight class, they w- wouldn't be able to put two wins together with the skill sets they have. Um, so on the feet, he should have something for Overeem. The, the thing is, Overeem is much more comfortable in this range of fighting, in this sport, and he's got enough accomplishments on his own that he could exchange to the guy in close, at distance, and at, from the mid-range. But as we stated, I've stated many times, Overeem is probably one of the more skilled heavyweight mixed martial arts fighters in the history of the world. He, he can wrestle a little bit. He can grapple and he can strike. He can strike in clinches. He can strike at distance. He can kick. He can punch. He can take you down. He can submit you from his back. He can wrestle with you a little bit. He can reverse you. He's just got a, a broader tool set and a deeper tool set than this guy. So this fight should, in theory, only be as difficult as he makes it. He should be able to get takedowns. I'd say whenever he wants to. When he gets takedowns, I don't he's controlled better fighters. He's finished better fighters. He's submitted better fighters. So, on paper, this should be a really easy fight for him. He has a multitude of ways in he could wrestle him to a decision. He could wrestle him and ground and pound him. He could take him down and submit him, or he could stand on the feet and finish him there, too. On the feet, it's a little bit more little dangerous. The guy's younger. The guy's still fresh. He's new in the sport, so he's taking as much punishment, and he, he's got good striking skills. So, that, that makes it a little bit more dangerous. But even on the feet, you know, at worst, maybe it's 60, 40, uh, 45, 55 fight. So on paper, this should to be an easy win for Overeem. But as we do know, Overeem tends to get tired. At times, he can fight in a very ridiculously stupid manner, it, it, ditching all his skills to engage his opponent in the fight they want to. And the fact that Overeem has just never really been the most durable fighter or a fighter who recovers, recovers from punishment very well. So, there's always a chance a guy lands a knee, lands a kick, lands a punch, and the whole fight turns around, and, and Overeem is never able to get his, his, uh, his legs back underneath him and, and win the fight. But based on skills and experience and what they've done against a caliber opponent, you can't, you can't do anything except go with Overeem on this.
0: So, question. Do we live in a world where Asa Overeem becomes UFC heavyweight champion?
1: He still can. I mean, he like I said, I don't know too many. I don't I don't know any MMA heavyweight who's got a better skill set outside of um, maybe uh, Fedor, who's got a really got a better skill set than Overeem. I mean, if we're talking actual skills, like legit, he's a legitimate world class striker. You know, he's a legitimate world class striker. He's he's a guy who, and though his wrestling isn't isn't established, you know, he doesn't have NCAA titles. He's taken down a who's who of guys. In, in mixed martial arts. He's finished a who's who of guys in mixed martial arts, guys who are inherently better grapplers and better wrestlers than a lot of the guys at heavyweight. So it, it's hard. I would never count him out of any fight. If he fights to his strengths and he fights with a sense of awareness in what he's doing, I don't know who he can't beat. He's got the skills to beat anybody, not the durability necessary, but he's got enough skills and a broader, deep enough skills and a broader enough array of skills that there's some, there's, some whole, there's some avenue to victory that he has versus anybody he fights. Outside of him just getting KO'd or stunned and having to fight turn around, I can't name three other heavyweights who could beat him, who I could say on paper, from a technical and strategical point of view, could just purely beat him, outclass him in all three ranges. Most of them can't outclass him in two ranges. You might have a, guy, a couple guys who can wrestle him, but they can't grapple with him. They can't strike with him. You might have a guy who can grapple with him, but he can't wrestle with him, and he can't strike with him. So he's always coming in with a huge advantage as far as actual skill sets. It's just a matter of whether he fights the right fight to put the, to bring those things to bear.
0: True. Very true there, sir. Let's uh, talk about the co-main event where we have Marina Rodriguez and Cynthia Calvillo fighting. And uh, what is a pretty interesting fight? Because Cynthia was once considered like the... Front runner to take over that division. There, I don't know much about Rodriguez, but I'm sure you do, as you follow women's MMA much closer, much more closely than I do. Tell me about this fight here, and what do you expect to see for both women? Because Rodriguez looks like a pretty interesting prospect with a strong record coming into this co-main event.
1: Uh, Rodriguez, she's she's a physical fighter. She's got good conditioning. She's not really much of a finisher, but she's she's kind of a punishing fighter who extends people, then kind of pulls away. The The thing with the thing with Cavillo is Cavio just hasn't She I don't know what to expect from her because during her time with Team Alphamos she kind of plateaued. She kind of got to a certain point where she stopped improving and even after she'd been out of the sport for her drug issue for a year and a half she came back and she was essentially the same fighter and the division since she left and the division she w- walked out of and the division she came back into are stunningly different. So my concern for Cynthia is what happens if she can't maintain the pace she wants, the range she wants, or dictate the terms of the fight the way she wants. She's essentially been able to do that in most of her fights. Most of the fighters have kind of given up or, or just panicked under the pressure and fought really dumb fights, or maybe just didn't prepare right and fought really dumb fights. But she hasn't had somebody who's really willing to to extend her and to really punish her. Carla Esparza as as was, was the first one to really punch with her, to really fight in every position. If she took her down, she was fighting to get back up. They were in a grappling exchange. She was going hold for hold. If she was going to punch with her, she was going to punch. She was going to punch with her. If she was going to kick, she was going to kick with her. The biggest thing Carla did was she fought her in every spot, in every space, in every range in the cage. And a lot of people kind of concede things to like Cynthia because they're afraid of getting in extended grappling exchanges with her. And when you do that, you let her dictate the pace. You let her determine where the fight's going to take place. You let her determine the volume, the physicality. And when you give, give away that much of the fight to somebody, it's going to be a fairly easy win for them. But I'm thinking that Marina is going to really come out and try to get in Cynthia's face. And she's going to force her into some, some heavy striking exchanges and, and try to really push the pace on her and break her down. I don't think Cynthia's defense is really great. I don't think her offense is really great. She's kind of just kind of with a system of fighting that's allowed her to navigate to na- navigate the holes in the majority of fight of WMMA fighters. I think when someone doesn't allow her to dictate these terms, I don't think she's the same fighter. She wasn't against JoJo Calderwood. She wasn't against Cynthia against um, Carlos Barza. And I think in this fight, um, you'll see something similar. You'll you'll see her you'll see her get walked down a little bit. You'll see her get backed up a little bit and it'll just come to a matter of how much she's improved. If she's added some new tools, then she very well can pull away and, and win this fight by finish. If she's the same thing Talia, she's been for the past two or three years, um, I think everybody's seen that. I think everybody knows that. I, I think that's a fairly easy fighter to beat if you fight smart, and, and I would think that she would lose if she hasn't improved.
0: Good thoughts there, good thoughts. Let's, um, we got a couple of fights I want to move through. Stefan Struve and Ben Rothwell. It's surprising, well... I'm not going to use the word surprising, but you know, heavyweight fighters don't go away. These two guys are going away. I think this is a rematch, I believe. I'm not even sure. I wouldn't be surprised if they fought each other before. Uh, is this a fight to, to even be excited about? I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm against. I'm anti-heavyweight MMA, especially five-round heavy round heavyweight MMA, unless if it's guys that would knock each other the fuck out. One of these two guys are, are going to get knocked out, in my opinion, and I think it's going to be true.
1: Yeah, it's true. I don't think he, I mean, given all the stuff he's been through, I don't know they should be, even be fighting anymore, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I like the comeback story. I like the grit. I like the determination to, to follow his dreams and to keep going. But you have to wonder, like, when's enough enough? He's another guy who's taken huge amounts of punishment. guy's met a huge amount of times in the hospital. A guy who really hasn't seemed to learn to fight to his best, to fight to his strengths, and a guy who just hasn't seemed to improve. He seemed like he's Plateau like three or four years ago i I don't see a lot of growth in him and not and when i say growth i not that i don't see different things i just don't see different things when things get tough once they get tough he tends to fall back into the same habits defensive lapses the bad wrestling the bad striking the uh poor footwork the insistence on working from his back it just it just gets really bad and and in a division where everybody can hit and everybody can punish you and you're a guy who's taking that much punishment you're just basically setting yourself up for failure you know you're, you're setting yourself on failure there's nothing to be excited about this fight. a guy who's been stopped numerous times who hasn't been a legitimate heavyweight fighter in what two three years and a guy who hasn't really beaten anybody of note in two or three years and even with ben rothwell he was a guy who at one point was considered a p- potential star in the heavyweight division but since he lost to junior Dos santos what has he really done since who has he beat where has he gone i mean he got suspended but what else has he done that's really separated him or established him as, as a fighter to be watched. He's, he's on the downside himself. And, I, and I'm a Ben Rothwell fan, but his peak was probably two or three years ago, and he did, didn't do very much with it. And, and so this is just a fight to fill space and a fight to, to eliminate one guy from the UFC, in my, in, in my opinion. One of these guys won't be here after this, after this fight. And if it's not a good fight if it's a, if it's a particularly bad fight, which it could be because these are awful style matchups. This is not a matchup that makes for a good fight. Both guys could be out of there. I'd say Rothwell has a better chance because he still can wrestle. He still can hit. He's still fairly durable. And Stephen Truth either gets dramatically injured every time he fights or he gets incredibly punished and and, and concussed every time he fights. And that's just not a big, that's just not a good look for him facing a big, big, sturdy, aggressive, punishing heavyweight. Ben Rothwell isn't defensively sharp himself. He's not really offensively complex, but he's still durable. He's still physically strong, he still can wrestle and he still can crap. And guys who can do those things usually lay a beating on Stefan Struve.
0: Very true. Good thoughts there, sir. Let's talk about Aspen Latt and Yana Kutsukaya. Aspen Latt trying to bounce back from that loss that she wanted to... Uh, what's the word? She wanted to... She, oh, she, 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 took, she took to the commission but lost Yeah, that. she appealed. Um, appealed, yes. That's the word I'm looking for. But she's trying to bounce back. Uh, do you think she gets this done here against Kuskaya?
1: Um, I just don't know. Aspen Lad generally just out athletes and out tough people. She's big, she's strong, she's physical, she can wrestle. She basically imposes her will on people and overwhelms them. When she's actually forced to show skill and and a fight gets slowed down or a fight shows like the layers of the fight, she. She just hasn't looked very good. When she can't bully somebody, she can't dictate pace. She just hasn't looked very good. She could just walk through Kuniskayev, just take her down, rough her up, slap her around, beat her down, punch her, choke her, punish her. But if Kuniskayev can maintain distance and use the jab, front kick, side kick, uh, snap kick to the head and to the, to the body, I could see her easily catching, um, catching Aspen Lad and possibly finishing her. Aspen Lad just hasn't shown great defense. And she hasn't shown a lot of high-level technique in her offensive striking. She's basically just a big, strong girl with basic skills who is able to uh, what you want to call it Big Brother, big sister, big, big sister, other opponents. And when she's not able to do that, when the fight slows down, when it comes to a matter of IQ and technique, she, she's shown to be defensively lacking, and she's shown to be offensively uncreative. And until something changes, until I see otherwise, I have to go with that because that's what I've seen for the past two, three, four years in the entirety of her career. So uh, I wouldn't mind somebody saying Lad's a favorite. She's more durable. She's physically stronger. She's probably a more punishing fighter. Might even be a better conditioned fighter. But as far as the actual skill sets, I don't think she's as skilled as Kuniskayev. And I think Kuniskayev has a very good chance of, of beating her, especially if she can take her down. If she takes her down, we have a whole nother fight. If she can keep the fight on the feet, we have a whole nother fight. I just don't have a lot of faith in Aspen Ladd's skills, but I do have faith in her durability, her aggression, and her fi- her physicality, which is generally what wins her almost all of her fights.
0: Good, good thoughts there, sir. Last fight I wanted to kind of pick on was Song Yadong, and Cody Stamen. What are your thoughts here?
1: Um, I think they're trying to give. They, they want they want song you to win i, I think cody Stamen is a good fighter uh, he seems to me like a guy who had a little bit of heat coming in there but he's more of a journeyman type and i don't mean that as an insult i just feel like the ufc doesn't particularly invested in him i don't know that he's dynamically gifted skill wise or dynamically gifted athletically he's a tough strong uh seasoned fighter who's got some physicality good wrestling and effective but not particularly technical striking he, bi- he basically imposes his will on the guys and breaks them down you know sometimes getting finishes sometimes just walking them down punishing them and breaking their will but there's nothing that stands out to him but he's the kind of guy that if you can beat him it says that you're a certain caliber fighter if you can beat him it kind of puts you in a certain group as far as what the options are open towards for you moving forward but um, I think this is a fight they 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 want Stamen to lose. Stamen wins this fight. It doesn't really do much for the division. To be honest, it doesn't do a lot for him either because I think people he's kind of a known quantity in the UFC right now. But if he loses this fight, it does a lot for the other guy. It kind of shows some growth. It sh- it'll give him a chance to show some maturity and it'll show that he's, re- he's ready to move on to the next stages of the mixed martial arts and possibly start calling out those big names.
0: Good thoughts there, sir. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if there's anything else to talk about in this car, because we've already talked about enough. Let's let everybody know what you're working on this week, man. Give everybody a, a preview.
1: Um, I really, I'm really trying to finish this. This, Well, I actually have enough time where I can finish it in a couple days, but I'm trying to do this green arrow piece. Cause Michael, he liked, he, you know, Mike, he's into that. I'm into it too. He liked the Wonder Woman thing. He liked the Captain America. So we wanted to do one for the green arrow especially since it's the last season of the, of the arrow show. So I wanted to do one for the character and it'd be just like a breakdown of like a real fight, like breakdown of me breaking down his strategies and techniques. Like he's an actual fighter. A lot of, a lot of people seem to like it. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to knock out. That's what I'm trying to finish right now.
0: Okay. Good stuff. I'm working on actually a piece about the Americas, which should be done today up tomorrow. And yeah, going to be live on site for UFC DC and we'll go from there.
1: I have a question for you before you go. How do you feel about all these uh, these fighters? Because, like, you know, I, I was talking to King Mo. He, he's actually wrestling for a promotion in New York. You got Kane Velasquez. You you saw what Ronda did. You know, it's like, do you think this is going to start being a – not maybe for a lot of fighters, but for fighters who got a little bit more charisma, have a, li- a little bit more showmanship, do you think this is a viable option for them moving forward when they get out of fighting? I mean, you you've seen multiple guys who – Try their hand at UFC or MMA, and then all right, and have been able to transition it into, you know, at least open the door or into wrestling careers, and some of them done quite well. Do you think this is something we'll see more and more of?
0: I think there is a space for it, but the path is longer than some are willing to take. That's why I like what Shayna Baszler has done for herself. She has carved out. She's carved out that path because she, I believe, has a true love for professional wrestling. That's why you see her coming up in NXT, the way in WWE, the way she is. And that's why she's growing a bigger fan base um, than maybe like a Ronda Rousey was, who just leapt right to the top. Uh, so there is a value in the slow growth approach to it. And I think that more fighters have to be willing to take that route rather than thinking they're going to jump right into the WWE and go from there.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of them, I, I always find it odd how a lot of them wanted to be put on these big cards, their big spots, but they got really offended when CM Punk got put into the highest level of their sport. It's like, well, you want to be in WrestleMania, what's the difference? You know, there's people who spent their whole lives developing this craft, and if you're not good at it, I don't care what kind of fighter you are, I'm still going to say you're trash as a pro wrestler, and... If, if that doesn't bother you, you shouldn't even be attempting to be involved in this this activity. So I, I do. I I just wonder. I just see a lot. I have I King Moe's a big. He's a big wrestling mark. Trust me, dude. We have hours of conversations about Ric Flair. Yeah,
0: he's always been like that. I understand.
1: Man. Yeah. So he, he's really he's really into it. But a lot of other guys, I keep wondering if it's like you know they start looking for some shortcut a way out because some people think they think wrestling's easy, and I think some fighters think it's easier than fighting. And I don't I don't necessarily know that that's true. I've never. It's not. To I mean, me WWE, those
0: yeah. guys tour 330 days out of the year.
1: Yeah. So that right pretty much. alone
0: is, you know, major.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. But I, I just figured I asked you, because since you kind of, you dance on both sides of the fence, and you, you understand it more than the average person, I figured I'd ask you that question.
0: Definitely, sir. Well, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out today, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we'll be back next week.
1: No, always a pleasure, man. You take care of yourself. Have a good weekend. You too, sir. Thank you.